<clears throat> if you have a Bible, which is a handy thing, um, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll be reading from this morning. And we're just going to start from, well, the start. I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, and I am strong. Give me a reset until I get myself all sorted. I can never find any apps on my iPad. Oh, there it is. Beautiful. Good morning. So I'm Sam, as you've heard, like 10 times already. Um, and I'm from Kirky, go to the Baptist College and stuff. Um, so you know a little bit more about me than you did <laughs> 10 minutes ago. Only like five people know me here, but um, so it's good. You've had a bit of an intro. Um, so this morning, um, we're taking our message from 2 Corinthians 12. Um, let me ask a question. Maybe not a lot of people will respond to this, but who likes a selfie? Like, taking a selfie. Usual suspects, great. <laughs> so, social media and stuff, like good old Instagram, or like, who's got Snapchat? Like, I doubt many people in here has Snapchat. I can tell you love a story. I can tell it. Um, social media like Facebook, Twitter, and the like. I love it, like, my mum loves it, she's never off it, it's a bit annoying, can't get taught to her much for it, but um, we love it, and actually on it, we kind of portray a bit of a, an alter ego in some ways, like, who's ever put on a photo about you being raging? Like, you, you don't do that, you don't put on a photo about how you've 
you've snapped again and you've shouted at somebody or about how you've just finished a, a packet of Jaffa cakes because you've had a bad day. Like, you don't, you don't do that. You, you don't do that. Or like the other day, my mum and my brother hacked into my Facebook and then went on and made a status about hemorrhoids. And it's like, like you wouldn't do that for real. You wouldn't for real pl like plaster your weaknesses all over Facebook for how many hundred people to see it. But yet, here, Paul rubbishes that fake painting of ourselves. And he says, if I need to go on boasting, I'll go on boasting. But what he does here is he says, actually, my weaknesses are just as important as my strengths. And his weaknesses are just as important as his strengths, as we find out, because God wants our weaknesses as much as he wants our strengths. Which doesn't make much sense, does as some as a culture who makes up our, our CVs and we need to really emphasise our strengths and where everything's about, you know, what can we get from you? Like, what's your good points, what's your bad points? Whereas what Paul, through his relationship with God, has shown, actually, God wants it all. And he wants it all on a plate. And actually, through this passage, there's a bit of a rhythm. There's a rhythm of, like, of God having that relationship with Paul, first of all. But then, there's Paul's cry. There's God's response. And then there's the action from Paul. Paul clearly, like, so this man Paul's talking about earlier in the passage, he, he's talking in the third person. He's actually talking about himself because he actually refers to this experience earlier on in this book. And so throughout this book, he's talking about um, how he's been shipwrecked and he's talking about how, like, the Corinthians are basically wanting to like, abandon him because of all these weaknesses. It's a bit like what we hear today. It's like, oh, if bad stuff happens to you, how can God love you? Like, if you've got zero pounds in the, in the bank account, like, how does God love you? Like, God loves you by having a good life, perfect health, perfect wealth, perfect relationships, which is funny because Jesus didn't have any of that, by the way. Um, but here he's saying, if I have to go on boasting about the stuff and the good revelations and all the, the, the people that I've seen healed all that stuff, then I'll go and do it. But actually, he gets to verse 7 and he says... Keep me from being conceited. I'm going to tell you about something that's happened. And Paul uses the word tormented. Now, it's never a pleasant experience if you're going to start it off with, I was tormented. Like, that's never good. <laughs> you're like, how did that meeting go? Well, it was a torment. Oh, good meeting then, yeah. Like, those things never go together. With the word torment, it sounds like a crippling experience, a daily experience, one that was probably emotionally and physically and spiritually draining. We also know that it's not something that's come from godly pursuits, probably. It says it's a messenger from Satan. And you can imagine that every day Paul had to go through the rigmarole of everyday life with this thorn in his side, this permanent state of being 
inhabit, like totally just inhibited by this thing, whatever it may be, whether it was a sin issue, whether it was an illness, whether it was a poor relationship, whatever it was, we don't actually know what it was. There's tons of theories to say it was a ton of things, but I don't think it matters too much what it was. What we can see here, though, is Paul was probably at, at the end of his wick. <laughs> he, was at a, he was at a loose end. He was in a pit. And you can imagine that the more that he looked in that pit, the starker and the deeper it probably got. Now, I'm sure like we've all had experiences where, or situations or things in our lives that the more we look at it, just the worse it seems to get. You're like, wait a minute, I've been thinking about this for five minutes trying to solve this issue and it's just gotten worse. Like, <laughs> it's worse than I thought it was ever going to be. And then we tend to think, where is God? Is he actually really good? What does he, what does he say about, what does he think about all of this? Because he doesn't seem to be involved. He doesn't seem to be here. He seemed to go off somewhere and leave me. And Paul's response, I don't know if he questioned God on this or not. He might have done. But his response was to turn to God. And in verse 8, he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. What Paul's doing in verse 8 is worship. It's not complaining. It's not whining. It's not greeting. Well, it is, it is whining. It is greeting. But actually, it's whining, greeting, worship. And quite often, we can say, not in the right frame of mind to worship today. I'm not feeling it. I can't, not, I can't look at the Bible today. Life's too rubbish. When actually, it's kind of hypocrisy. <laughs> because we're saying... God's good all the time, but only when we feel good. Our response is limited to our emotions. Whereas Paul goes, Paul feels that pain intimately. Worship doesn't ask you to not feel your pain intimately or, or feel that situation intimately. He feels it, he holds it close, he lives through it. But what he's doing by going on his knees is he's declaring the character of God. By going on his knees, he's saying, I'm in pain, whether that be emotional, physical, or spiritual, or all three. He's like, I'm in pain, I'm done for, but God, you are the deliverer. And it's that but God that changes it into worship. Like, the worship songs we sing today, like, aren't really anything compared to the Psalms. Like, the Psalms are like, kill them, God! I don't think we, sh we could really sing that. Like, but they were songs of worship. It was, God, where are you? That was worship. That's what God, in his authoritative word, is called worship. 
That's what he's called pleasing worship, is honesty, is authenticity, is being sincere before him. Because what worship is, is the declaration of his good nature. And what he's saying is, despite my pain and despite, despite my circumstances, I realize that you've never changed. I realize that you are always good, that circumstances aren't necessarily the reflection of who you are. And to cry out to God in times of uh, trouble is actually an act of defiance. An act of defiant worship saying, actually, I'm not going to let my circumstances pen me in. I'm not going to let my circumstances dictate to me how I respond to God because God's ever turned toward me. God's ever loving me. God's ever disciplining me, ever providing for me, ever there. And actually, if we can learn to defy our circumstances and how they make us feel, and I'm not saying deny them, because there's been this myth for centuries in Christianity that faith is the denial of trouble. But it's not. Faith is denying the power over you that trouble can bring. It's not denying its reality, it's denying its influence on you. And when we reconnect with God in worship, when we reconnect with the atmosphere of heaven, which is worship, then there is the breakthrough, not necessarily the, the lifting of the pain. Paul, we don't ever know if this thorn in the side's ever gone. But the strength is found in reconnecting himself with the atmosphere of heaven reconnecting himself with who he truly is, which is a citizen of heaven, which is to be someone who actually responds to God in a worship, in a worshipful way, saying, but God, you are deliverer, but God, you are provider, but God, you are healer, but God, you are lover, but God, you are forgiver, but God, you are just, but God, you are king. In whatever way it may be, we need to strive, if I can use that word, to position our whole selves from the minute we wake up to be in a position to worship him. And I'm not saying be happy clappy, teletubby. Worship, declaring who God is, living by that declaration of who God is, and that doesn't mean work. That doesn't mean faking it. That doesn't mean any of that stuff. What Paul shows is it means surrender. And I don't know if there's a story um, in the Gospels of this demonized boy. And uh, his father uh, asks for him to be delivered. And he says, I believe, but help me with unbelief. And that's, that's worship. And that's, what we, that's, that's all God requires of us. And actually, I'll tell you a bit about my life recently. So about three weeks ago, um, there was a situation came up in my life that was pretty um, hard to take, and I'm still processing. And uh, it's been really crippling. Um, this week especially, 
On Tuesday, it took me three to four hours to get out of my bed. In those times, I had a bit of a dilemma. Do I rise from the ashes and start declaring, declaring, it is well? Or do I shrink back into my duvet and ignore God and ignore the world? A lot of the time, it's been the latter. Because quite frankly, I've not had the energy. But what I've needed to do is mumble at times quite weakly. God, help me see you. Help me respond the way that I should respond. Then totally as a gift from God, out of no fear, this sudden urge pops up in my and just in me just to speak to him. And then my mouth erupts with groans, moans, greetings and whines. But here's the true part of the miracle. That it doesn't stop there. That I go on to praise him from it. It's saying, God, I know I've been betrayed. But you're a strong tower and I'm one with you. So I'm not going to be shaken. God, I know I've been hurt, but you're the healer. At the moment, I don't feel totally healed. <laughs> but in the Psalms, there's a lot of phrasing that, like, that says, praise the Lord. And it's it, it, but the phrasing is such that it's praise the Lord in anticipation of him coming, not because he's come. It's easy to, to worship God when he's here. It's easy to worship God when you feel him. But God wants worshippers who are worshippers in spirit and truth. And truth never changes and the spirit never changes. So we need to rely on him to take us to our knees and say, I believe but help me in my unbelief. I'm weak, but help me to worship you. Now, there could be a so what here. So what? What is worship? What is this singing at the wall that we do? What is this praying that we do? What? So what? The quite remarkable thing is that God cried, God cried out to Paul. No, Paul cried out to God and God heard him and responded. And I say it's remarkable not because God does that rarely, because he doesn't do it rarely, but I say it's remarkable because this is God. And not only is it what, what he does that's remarkable, but it's what he says that's remarkable. Instead of rejecting Paul's weaknesses, God embraces them. He doesn't say, okay, let's, let's, let's tweak this. He embraces the whole thing. And let, so one of the many theories out there 
is that some people genuinely believe and have really good grounds to believe that, that Paul had same-sex attraction. And God's saying, I embrace you. And that's funny. Because <laughs> we like to seclude certain groups of society. And I'm not making a, a I'm not making a stand on all that stuff to do with relationships. I hold to a traditionally biblical view of relationships and intimacy. But my point is is that God embraced Paul where he was at. He embraces you where you're at and your weaknesses and the thoughts that are angry and the thoughts that are lustful and the thoughts that are gluttonous and the thoughts that are unmerciful, the thoughts that are angry and violent. He embraces it. He wants it, actually. He wants you to, to give him those thoughts. And then there's this strange phrase, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That his grace is sufficient, his grace, his undeserved love, his undeserved merit and favour. And his power is made perfect in weakness. Now, what does that mean, power, to, power made perfect in weakness? Now, I thought of it this way, right? Only because I use it. But like moisturiser, I'm, I'm not making a direct connection between God and moisturiser. Last time I checked, I didn't call God Nivea. But moisturiser is good for our skin, right? Keeps it from drying up, from cracking, stuff like that. And moisturiser can be used pretty much by anybody, really, can't it? But it works especially well if you've got a skin condition, like I do. And those with skin conditions like eczema and the like, it's where we start to see the moisturizers healing properties really well. We actually see the deep intricacies of its makeup, its formation, and how it actually works about healing. Now, this is a bit like God. Like, we need God in every area of our lives, whether it's very dry, a bit dry, not so dry. We need God in every area of our lives. And he'll work a work in people who are less broken or, or more broken. However, when it comes to our weaknesses, when it comes to those parts of us that are more desert-like than the Sahara, that's actually when we start to see different depths different perspectives of God's love, his power, and his mercy. And when those weaknesses are surrendered to him, when those weaknesses are fully surrendered to him, we actually started to discover more of that love, more of that goodness. And it's a total gift. It's a total gift. I mean, we are struggling with something that probably sometimes we don't even want to share with anybody. God says, I'm sufficient. My power is made perfect there. Which is weird because he's already perfect. 
he totally obliterates weakness. And that's not to say that, because we know people who've been prayed for healing. I know people, like, I've been prayed for healing and I've still got a click in my, in my knee and it can be sore from time to time. Sometimes the healing isn't the removal of the weakness, but it's the ability to live with a limp. It's the ability to deny it its power. So Jesus said, with the faith as small as a mustard seed, we love this, faith as small as a mustard seed, you can talk to a mountain and ask it to move and it'll move. But also what we forget is that throughout the Bible, throughout Jesus' life, sometimes the mountain didn't move. But they scaled that mountain. And they made that mountain its own because of the power of God. Jesus said to God, take this cup away from me before he died. He's like, basically, I don't want to do this. But your will be done. Not mine. Because he knew his good nature. He knew his love. He knew his power. So what did Jesus do? Suffered the worst death that's possibly imaginable and then just rose from the dead three days later. God didn't take death away from Jesus. The Father did not take the death away from Jesus. But Jesus denied its power over him. And we are one with, we are one with Christ. And we will have parts of the death nature living in us. But we can deny it its power because of the power of Christ that lives in us. We can deny it its influence, the despair it may bring, all that stuff. We can deny it its influence. That's where the power is made perfect. That's how grace is sufficient. Because our joy, our peace, all of that stuff is not found in whether we're comfortable. It's not found in whether we're painless. It's not found in whether we're rich. It's found in the arms of the Father. No. So this pattern is, starts off with a relationship. It goes, our cry, God's response. But then God responds. He gives you the, the strength to get through one more day. What do you do? Well, what did Paul do? Paul didn't act like nothing had ever happened. Paul went around boasting about his weaknesses. Paul went around saying, do you know what? I'm going to delight in my weaknesses. I'm going to delight in the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and the difficulties. If only we did that. Could you imagine how much more like family church would be if we did that? If we actually said, I'm not my weakness, and God's transforming that weakness, and then we tell each other, and from that, the grace of God is actually passed about, because then we're encouraged, we gain faith from those stories of, of actually, wow, <laughs> God's enabled that person keep walking through that despair, through that sin issue. 
to be at peace despite all the crap that may be going on. When we encounter God and we receive that word that he gives us, there's no way we can't be changed. There's no way that we can love people less, love ourselves less, feel more powerless after we encounter God. If we don't love God more, love other people more, and love ourselves more after an encounter with God, the authenticity of it should be challenged. Look through your Bible. Not one person encountered God and loved them less, loved others less, and loved themselves less. After it, they all had a greater measure of peace, a greater measure of hope, of power, of love. And this is something I challenge myself with every day. Was that just words I said into the air or did I actually connect with, did I actually allow myself to be connected with God? Because he wants to connect with us. He wants to speak to us in a way that moves us into action. When we say, God's told me that his grace is sufficient, that his power is made perfect in weakness. And here's how. God seeks to transform us because he loves us. Because he wants his goodness known amongst people. But also because he loves others. And we can't keep it to ourselves. There's no way we can keep it to ourselves. These past three weeks, at times, have been horrid. But at times, they've been so sweet. When I've been challenged to really tell practically strangers about the ins and outs of what had happened to me, I've gained strength. Strength not in that kind of oh, self-empowered way, but strength in the sense of, actually... I've encountered God through talking to another Christian about this and I've been encouraged. The Spirit's ministered to me by doing this. But not only that, I've actually seen people, like there was one person I, I talked to about and uh, I talked to about it and they, they'd said, do you know, I'd never thought about that in the church. And they were like, this is awful and now they're praying about injustices in the church things through her prayers are now changing because of that testimony of my heart of my weakness I'm not saying oh look at me it's all a gift grace is a gift it's unmerited when we cry to God he responds to you he responds to me and in that response as a collective and as an individual, there is power to change Airdrie. There is power to change Coat Bridge, North Lanarkshire, Glasgow, Scotland. My challenge is cry out to him, hear him respond, 
then what's your response? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you have made us one with you so that no weakness, no imperfection can remove us from your presence. Lord, thank you that you long to hear our cries, whether they be cries of jubilation or cries of pain and hurt, and that you promise to respond. You promise to reveal yourself. You promise to be there. God, this week I ask you to speak clearer than ever to each and every one of us. God, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you are wholeheartedly, 100% there for your glory, ours and others' good. God, I ask that in our encounters and connections and relationship with you, that we are changed, Airdrie's changed, and that you are worshipped. For you are always good. Lord, thank you that you love us enough to transform us in the midst of our weaknesses, outside our weaknesses, whatever it may be. Holy Spirit, I ask that there's a, a sense of your inner and outer presence. Thank you, God. Amen.